And so you have to understand each individual, and this goes for all of the engagement drivers, what do they like? What are their preferences? What do they care about? But autonomy is all about flexibility. It's all about that control. Can I make the decisions that I need to? It's about freedom. And so you take that away from people, the ultimate lack of autonomy is you're put in prison. That's where you're locked up and you can't do that. That's the punishment that we, we impose on people who don't live up to the standards of our society. Welcome back to Chat with Leaders, where we amplify the voices of leaders who use business and influence as a force for good. We believe that it's their example that will have a tremendous impact on our next generation of servant leaders who will carry us forward into our bright, sustainable future. Today, I chat with Fred Jewell, Executive Director and Senior Strategic Advisor at one of my favorite management consulting firms, JVN Consulting. Fred is also the author of the book, We Can't Do It Alone building influence with simple strategies, and is a regular contributor to the JVN Journal, where he has written extensively on employee engagement, culture, and leadership. I'm excited to share this conversation with you where we unpack the six categories of drivers that Fred has identified through his research as critical to driving positive employee engagement in your business. I hope this gives you actionable insights as it did for me on how to be a better leader happier person or both. Enjoy. So Fred, why is the human factor the most complex and sometimes the most frustrating element of solving problems for business leaders? It's a great question. It, you know, it's funny, the technology, the process, the financials, it, those are kind of easy to improve and control because there's not nearly as much going on as there are with people. We're tremendously complicated, we're different. And so it makes a big difference to try to deal with people than it does to deal with those more mundane engineering-like tasks, if you will. Um, so, so people have been hard, but we do also, the big thing that we don't think about is that leaders, it varies quite a bit by uh, individual, right? And they, they think that they understand everybody because everybody thinks like them, but that's not always the case. Even harder these days with so many more distributed teams, remote workforces, and not being able to connect there in person or read the body language as much. So I know that this human factor is even becoming more difficult for leaders in this new world of work that we find ourselves in post-pandemic. Oh, absolutely. It's so hard to read people. And it used to be, you know, you could get a sense for how everybody was feeling uh, in the room, but it's a lot harder to do on video. It helps. Video is great. And without that, it's even harder. I worked in a uh, conference call environment for years uh, remotely and never saw my team and never got to, to work with them more than a couple times a year. That's a lot harder than we've got now, but it's still missing that in-person element and in all of the body language that you get to see when you're in person. Absolutely. Well, there's an inherent human element to employee engagement, and it's always been a relevant topic. I know you really started to dive into this uh, from a research standpoint, uh, maybe about six years ago at this point, and you've kind of reiterated on this study as the dynamics of the world of work is shifting around us. But what originally motivated you and Tracy Resnick at JBN to really more closely examine the dynamics of employee engagement and really build a framework around it? 
you know, it, it goes back even further than that for me. We started doing the research. I've always been a student of leadership. I've always been a student of change, of what makes us happy, uh, psychology, anthropology, influence, basically all the things that make us human, right? What makes us tick? That's always been something that's fascinating for me. But I'm also an engineer by training. So I did both my undergrad and graduate degrees in engineering at the University of Illinois. And one of the cool things about the program I was in is we got to pick. Do we want to focus on business or some specific aspect of engineering. I picked human factors and, and engineering psychology as the places that I focused in my undergrad and graduate degrees there. And that really put the element of the person in the system front and center. And that really got me going at the beginning. So the research that I did was really, how do I take all these things that make us happier and more engaged and really pull them together into a framework that I can think about as an engineer. We're really good at building frameworks in engineering and in consulting. And the social sciences, not so much. It's not as common. People don't think that way. So this really kind of tried to take the human element and put it into a structure that maybe somebody more technical or more visual could understand and buy into. I wish that was something that at least that I saw was available to me at the time. I've kind of learned to be interested in those studies later on in my career. And it's such a complex, interesting issue. And, and really the term reverse engineering has become more prevalent in the way that I approach work and relationships and outcomes these days. And as an engineer, you look at the outcome and then you kind of back into, okay, what is the, what are the steps uh, to get there? But what outcomes were you hoping to reverse engineer once you had this kind of foundational knowledge uh, that you were driving for? Yeah, it's a, we really wanted to get at what, what's the fundamental aspects of what makes what drives human behavior? What are the what are the key things that really, at the elemental levels? I think periodic table in chemistry, right? The the atomic level. What are the things that matter the most? And so, through the research that we did across many many different authors and many many different studies, we pulled the best ofs out, and then we said, all right, what are some of the you know, what can we boil these things down into? So in one of the first articles I wrote for our JBN journal was around capability enhancers and depleters at, at work. What are the things that actually make us better? And what are the things that bring us down? And so it was really more of just a regurgitation of as many things as I could think of that would be pros and cons and positives and negatives. And through the research that we did, we actually were able to boil it down, boil the number of things down into six specific fundamental elements that really were the things that make up the molecules of all the virtues and all the good things that we look for at work. But there's six fundamental things that we have found and tested over and over and over again, challenged ourselves, had our clients challenge us. Still, they hold up as the things that are really fundamental to the way that that we get engaged, where we get our energy, where we get our happiness. It really comes down to six things. Very interesting. And, and I know that we could do an entire episode, as we've talked about before, on each of those six drivers. And so I really would love to do a flyover of each particular one. And then, of course, we'll uh, link up the publication to the show notes in this episode so that people can dive a little bit deeper and connect with you to learn more. But um, I wanted to start just one by one in terms of how each has a contributing factor into employee engagement because it is so relevant today. 
today. Uh, so the first one that you identified was growth drivers. Can we dive into that one first? Yeah, growth is all about getting things done. And it's all about growing and learning and accomplishing something. So the more I can get done, the more I can accomplish that those little wins that we get everything from a like on a post in social media to a promotion to a win in a sporting event. All of those things are great, positive accomplishments. There's a negative side to growth, though, too, that can be a detractor and something that pulls away from engagement, like a failure, like a um, you lose this, the corner office, your status is somehow taken, you've got a new title and it's lower than what you had before. Those are things that really detract from that growth and pull back from engagement. Yeah, I agree. And I've always, uh, whether you like it or not, you're always thinking about progression and, and making that next step. And and that's kind of the way your your social environment kind of validates what you're doing and you want that what you're doing to matter and to have a significance and importance so you can brag about it at parties and all of that fun Absolutely. stuff. So I, I love that that's your number one. Uh, and also to understand kind of some of the pitfalls there, but to be able yeah. to wrestle with that tension when it comes to the importance of growth and how that motivates people. Um, so the second one you had was relationship drivers. Can we talk about that? Yeah. So like growth, growth has an unlimited upside. I can have as much accomplishment as possible and it only gets better and better. Relationships are the same way. So how are my relationships to my coworkers? How, are, how is my relationship to my company, to my team? How is it to the community that I live in and the, even the culture that's a bigger part of you know, our society? I have a relationship with all of those things. And the better those relationships are, the better, the more I'm engaged conflict, challenges with individuals, a team that I don't mesh with, a culture that I don't fit into from a belief standpoint, all of that stuff can take away from those relationships. So you just like growth, there's positives and negatives. All of the engagement drivers have those positive and negative aspects, but the more you can enhance the good stuff, recognize the bad stuff that's going to be happening uh, along the way and mitigate the risks that come with those, the better off you are. Love that. And I think for all of us, we have this kind of core sense of wanting to feel like we belong where we're at and that we have a community around us of people that are our people that we can trust, that we feel safe with, that we can have healthy conflict with, and that there's nobody kind of just trying to stab one another in the back in a workplace uh, environment or one up the other. I mean, there's competition always that drives people. But when you have that really core relationship and sense of belonging in a community, I think that makes a, a really special team. And it's hard to find. It's hard to get to that sense of unity. And, uh, and, and one of my friends has always said that you can't spell community without unity. <laughs> and I love that, yeah. love that phrase. And, uh, but it is so important, I feel it like. Is. It is. It absolutely is. And one of the things that I've also found is that not everybody needs the same level of number of people that they have relationships with. We all need one, at least. Um, that's what the science shows that you have to have at least one kind of that agape love relationship doesn't have to be a romantic relationship, but it has to be a relationship with somebody that you can be intimate with that you can actually talk deeply about things and share everything with. That's what makes people happy when those things are missing. That's when people start to, to suffer and get become disengaged with life overall. 
too easy to show up to meetings all the time, just checking in on what's being done, what's missing, and just be so task oriented that you miss the relational oh, yeah. aspect of being part of a team. So, such a good point. The third one that you identified was autonomy drivers. Can we talk about that? Yeah. So autonomy is one of those things that has a sweet spot for everybody, right? We like to have a certain amount of flexibility and a certain amount of freedom to do what we do. So the curve is an upside down bell curve, or is a bell curve, I should say. So it, at the top of that, that, that peak of that bell, that's where you want to be with everybody. And people have varying degrees of needs for autonomy. Some people just tell me what to do. And I don't really need to decide on my own. And other people are just tell me what you want done and let me figure it out. And so you have to understand each individual, and this goes for all of the engagement drivers, what do they like? What are their preferences? What do they care about? But autonomy is all about flexibility. It's all about that control. Can I make the decisions that I need to? It's about freedom. And so you take that away from people, the ultimate lack of autonomy is you're put in prison. That's where you're locked up and you can't do that. That's the punishment that we we impose on people who don't live up to the standards of our society, right? And so that's the that's the worst case scenario, right? The best case scenario is, I guess, Janis Joplin, uh, you know, Chris Christopherson who wrote the song, you know, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose, right? <laughs> and you're out there doing whatever you need to, whatever you want to, because you don't really, ha you're not encumbered by anything. So it's a, it is a, it, it's something that we really value. It's something that is a real big distractor if you don't get right and people will push back and, and you know become disengaged if we don't give them the right kind of flexibility. That is so complex. I know throughout my career, I've wrestled with that tension as I, you know, was kind of growing it as an aspiring leader in organizations. And I, I just wanted that seat at the table, right, where I could be participatory in the conversations and, and actually know what's going on from the top. Right. And, but, you know, at the same time, careful what you wish for to, you know, when you get into some of these things and uh, you're part of a larger uh, team that's uh, struggling to make decisions that can be just as equally frustrating. But there's kind of a real balance there. I think that's one of the more complex ones, in my opinion. It is. It is. Uh, in terms of fairness drivers, that's your next category. Uh, I love this one because I'm constantly telling my kids that life is not fair. So tell, <laughs> tell me about what you found out about fairness drivers. Well, you know, if people feel like they're not being treated fairly or the people that they care about are not being treated fairly, then kind of all work stops. Uh, if you're looking at a, a business, one, one of the big examples of this that I, I share is at one point, I was responsible for the dress code of a, of a multi-billion dollar IT uh, organization. And we had people who were kind of dressing down a little bit. So leaders asked to reissue the, 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 uh, the policy on or put a dress code policy in place. So we adopted the corporate one. And sure enough, that did not fit with the crowd that we had working with us. And all work stopped in one of our centers once they realized, wait a minute, I can't wear open-toed shoe shoes anymore. I mean, you know, this is the summertime in the South. It's a big deal. You, you're, this is not fair. And so I got a call from the leader over there saying, hey, you know, you just shut down productivity for the afternoon. Do we really want to do this? So we quickly made some changes and adapted the policy to be a little bit more reasonable. And uh, we 
addressed the fairness issue. And so if there's a fairness issue, people will stop doing what they're doing and they'll protest. We saw that with many different instances of different things over social justice and, and the other things that we've gone through with the pandemic. You see people get out there and that's when people feel things are unfair. That's when they rise up. And so you're you're engaged in that cause at that point, but you're kind of disengaged from the, the everyday work that we all do every day. Yeah. And and it does need to be addressed when there are clear inequities. And and I love that we're kind of moving forward and in, in more inclusive thinking in today's world. And there's some good things that have spun out of, of those glaring inequities and uh, ethical concerns that have been out there. And I also think of just the, the dress code thing that you talked about with UPS recently changing some of its dress code. I mean, for yeah. years, it was very prim and proper, all brown, you know, like you couldn't do anything. And they've had a, a new CEO come in there and really relax their dress code and and it's changed the culture with something just as little as that yeah no absolutely and in fairness it is one of those things that's either on or off so it's either fair or not fair and it's hard to get to more fair once you're at fair so it's one of those things that really is pretty binary and it's one of those things that's a huge distractor it'll just shut things down if we don't get it right it's one thing that we forget about a lot when we're thinking about policies and we're thinking about change in any organization that somebody's going to see something about this change is unfair but we don't ever really analyze that unless we explicitly think about it and call it out like we do here with the model Absolutely. And then the next uh, driver you had was well-being. Uh, let's talk about that real quick. Yeah. So this was actually the last one we added to the framework because it's all about how do I feel physically and can I maintain the pace that I'm on? Can I? Am I getting enough sleep? Am I healthy? Am I eating right? Am I enjoying and having fun at work, right? Laughter and goofing around sometimes and just having that joyful part of work that uh, we all really want to have, that's well-being. And so if that's missing, then people are going to, to, to suffer. They're going to become less engaged. Obviously, when you're tired or you're hurt, it's really difficult to, to get engaged in the work that you're supposed to be doing. I love the quote you had in there where it said, we can't be engaged if we're tired, unhealthy, in pain, or running at such a fast pace that we can't catch our breath. And boy, have I known that. The yeah. breakneck speed at which we're trying to get work, and then you're constantly in this cycle of being quote-unquote busy, but nothing's actually really getting done other than you're depleting energy, and uh, that bleeds into the team. And so uh, such an important uh, point, and certainly today that's more relevant than ever when we're talking about mental health and some of the issues that have been faced and surfaced from the pandemic and remote work and everyone kind of in a collective state of trauma uh, that we've gotten through. So it's, it's sometimes a good thing that we're at least acknowledging and seeing the importance of these things in terms of being more human uh, towards one another. And then lastly, you talked about uh, security and we kind of touched on that of having a little bit more certainty and safety within your community and your environment. But uh, what were some of the, the big things that stood out to you there? Yeah, so security is, is uh, another distractor like autonomy and fairness. Um, one of those things that can really just pull us away from the growth and relationships that are really the unlimited upside um, parts of what we do. Uh, security is one of those things that has a plateau. Once I get to secure enough, it's adding a little bit more security doesn't 
its incremental value for the cost associated with it is is minimal. So you get to a plateau of what makes you comfortable from a security standpoint. Obviously, Maslow's hierarchy kind of fits into this where uh, in psychology, where we talk about the, you know, the need for food and shelter and, and that stuff at the very bottom of the pyramid. Luckily in business, we usually don't have to deal with that. Of course, in the nonprofit community, absolutely. That's what we're trying to address is that food insecurity or that housing insecurity. And you really can't get anything else done if you don't have those things. So this is one of those things that really we have to build up to a place where everybody is at least got the minimum that they need to to survive in a, in a meaningful way for them. On top of that, though, a lot of our business you know, people that we're working with have their needs met that way with the with the careers that they've got and the income that they have. So it's more for them about what's going to happen tomorrow. Do I know with some certainty what's going on with this change? We're reorging. Okay, well, is everybody going to have a role? Am I going to have a role? Am I going to have a different role? Am I going to get to work for the same person? And is that going to damage my relationships in some way? All of that stuff is part of security. So really, it's it's how much certainty do I have about what's going to happen tomorrow? I love this. So to recap, we have uh, of the six categories of engagement drivers, there's growth drivers, relationship drivers, autonomy drivers, fairness drivers, well-being and security. And we will be including a link in the show notes to this publication. So in closing, you know, you talked about also three categories of levers that you can use to influence the six engagement drivers, which is alignment levers, implementation and governance uh, levers. So my question to you is, how does this engagement framework help business leaders today that are conscious about using their influence and business as a force for good to serve their stakeholder groups like their employees and, and everyone that really uh, impacts their business? How can they apply this to improve their overall team's engagement? What practical advice would you have for them to start today? Well, there's lots of very specific tactical things that, that, that people can do, but uh, that leaders can do. But the, the thing that, that we tried to do with the model with those, the, what we call the levers, which uh, if you look at the model, they're kind of the models in a circle and they're on the outside of the circle. These are the things that you have at your disposal as a leader to influence the organization. The alignment levers are all about getting things right from the beginning, purpose, goals, strategy. You know, do I believe that we can be successful? Do I have the right bandwidth? do the work. The implementation levers are the typical project management, maybe like things that we think about in terms of process and technology and communications and training uh, policy uh, decisions that we make, which can also be related to compensation and organization design. And do we have the space to work in and, and do that comfortably? Those are the levers that leaders can pull and influence to, to influence those six engagement drivers. So that's that. these are the levers that leaders can pull to you know, if you were looking to maybe improve growth, I, I can do that through processes and get people more clear on kind of what they need to do. I can give them purpose and I can sp spell out specific goals that they can accomplish, which gives them that sense of growth. Those are the kinds of things that we can use those levers for to pull that. The last of the levers is the governance levers. How do I make decisions? How do I control things and measure how well we're doing? We think that's a complete list of all the things that leaders have at their disposal. So people say, what about leadership? Is that an important thing for engagement? Absolutely it is. But what is leadership? Leadership is the effective manipulation of all those levers I just described. That's the complete set of things that you have at your disposal as a leader to get things done. A lot to think about, a lot of great wisdom there, Fred. If people wanted to learn more about you or follow you online, where would you direct them? 
Yeah, so the JVN Consulting website is fantastic. It's uh, www.jvn.com. And if you click on Insights, you'll get access to our JVN Journal. And that's been going on for since 2013. We've had uh, every six months published a thought leadership that our people have put together, uh, which is an engaging thing for our workforce as well, to be able to accomplish the, uh, the publication of, of their thought leadership. Uh, that's become a, a critical thing for us from a growth perspective for our people. But it's a great source for really, really good information that we want a lot of awards for for content and for layout with the journal. And you'll see our, this model in 10 straight journals. And we've got a, uh, if you go out there, there's also a consolidated collection of the articles that pertain to the engagement framework that you can download in one big PDF and, uh, and dive in into whatever depth you want. I couldn't agree more. Great, great website, great resource. It's uh, been life-giving to me and certainly to have several of the, the wonderful leaders from JVN uh, on this program. So Fred, thank you for sharing your gifts of time and wisdom with our community today. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a blast talking with you. Well, that wraps up another edition of Chat with Leaders. Thank you for investing your time with us today. If you haven't already, we would be grateful if you shared this episode with a friend and rated it on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts so we can pass down the wisdom from our guests to more aspiring leaders. If you're interested in launching a professional podcast to grow your business, we would love to help. Check out chatwithleaders.com for more information and feel free to reach out by emailing team at chatwithleaders.com. Thanks again and go be a leader worth following.